if you will, head over to Luke chapter 9. That's where we are. We're getting back into this uh, Luke, Luke again this fall. It's our second week there. Uh, before we get going, though, did you know there are two miracles, only two miracles of Jesus's that are recorded in all four of the Gospels? One of them is the miracle we're going to see today, the feeding of the 5,000, uh, as it's commonly known as. And anyone know what the other one is? Not Lazarus. Close, though. Same idea. The resurrection. How can you have a gospel without the resurrection? I didn't know it either when I first heard that. You should have, though, and I should have. Anyway, so the events in our passage today are going to be happening immediately, or they did happen immediately uh, after the commission we saw last week. Remember the pretty great commission, but not the great one, or whatever you might want to call it? time when Jesus just empowers the disciples to, to, to heal and to cast out demons and to proclaim the kingdom of God. And they go out and they do it. And so they come back in. And that's right where we're picking up is after they have come back from that. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethesda. When the crowds learned, learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them, and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and cured those who had any need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And, had them all, and they had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. And Father, we have just read your holy word, and we want to understand it. We, we want to understand what it says about Jesus. We want to understand what it says about mankind and what it says about us specifically. But we want to know if there are changes we may need to make in our opinions in how we relate to you, how we respond to helpless situations we may find ourselves in. Really, we, we just want to understand your word and apply it to our own lives today. And so we, we ask the, the Holy Spirit, please enlighten our minds for that purpose. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so this passage then begins... Uh, with Jesus leading the disciples, the apostles specifically, uh, a way to, to kind of reflect or um, refresh uh, on this unique mission that he has just sent them back or out on for a while. And, and so Jesus leads them to this tiny little town called Bethesda. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot like Zendale. Any of you know what Zendale is? One, two... Three, four, all right, a few of you know what it is. So, so Zentail is this little bitty town east of Manhattan. I wouldn't have known it existed except for I passed it on a bike ride one day. Um, but it's a town. Uh, it, it's, it's out there in the middle of nowhere. There's no restaurants. There's no grocery stores. The amenities include a stop sign and a pickup truck. Uh, and the rest is just a few people's houses around there. So, so that's Zendale. <clears throat> it, it makes St. George, which if you haven't heard of, doesn't help either, seem like the big city, though, to, to put in perspective. 
And, and the whole point here is that Jesus has taken them out to this tiny little fishing village uh, where, where there's hardly anything going on. There's nothing there. Uh, and, and he takes them there, presumably because they need some time away, some time with just Jesus, some, some time to reflect on what's been going on. And, and, and they just need time with Jesus, which you understand, right? You, you, you ever just need a break from people and just some time with, with Jesus? Um, however, things don't go according to plan. People uh, learn that Jesus has left town, and upon learning it, they all start to chase after him and, and are able to catch up with them and, 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 and see where he's at. So now, by, by a show of hands, how many of you would consider yourself an introvert? And by introvert, I don't mean you hate people. I mean, you just need some alone time to get energy and feel ready to, to interact with people again. Okay. We've always wondered how many people in our congregation would reflect it. More than half of you would say that. And um, for those of you that raised your hand, you, you can imagine this is kind of a, a nightmare scenario, isn't it? Uh, you, you can imagine. You, you've been with the masses. You've been hearing their problems. You've been uh, ministering to them. Just, just all kinds of heartbreak and, and concern for people. And, and then you get this alone time with Jesus, right? But then the doorbell rings. And you open the door, and there's 5,000 people. And Jesus is like, yeah, let them in. <laughs> you you kind of just expect the apostles here to just yell at the crowd, right? Like, just go away. We just need 15 minutes. So, some sort of just response of, uh, of frustration in the, in the sense. Uh, and, and you kind of wonder about, about Jesus too, right? Jesus is God. That's who he is. And, and so we, but we also forget that Jesus is also a man. Um, you know, 100%. And, and I say that because you've got to understand he, he needs rest as well. And yet here we see Jesus' willingness to be put out for his plans to be changed uh, and to invite these people in to continue to minister them. And, and I, for one, read this and, and you begin to wonder, what, what do we make of this? Uh, what are we to do with this, right? Is, is the application of this uh, that, that you should be willing to be put out emotionally, to always just dig a little deeper so that you can continue to minister to people no matter how exhausted we are? And you're, you're kind of hoping that's not it, aren't you? It's not it. That, that's not the application we see here. You, you see, it, it takes wisdom in the Christian life, and sometimes we want everything so so straight but it, it takes wisdom uh to know when we need a break and and when we need to really just get away and to spend some time with jesus some time refreshing and, and when we need to earnestly seek the lord in prayer and, and just ask for the emotional energy to keep going uh in, in certain particular situations but but it means we're going to need wisdom to know which which way it is in this scenario now if jesus is with you and he says invite them in you have a pretty good answer right there um yeah, we're going to dig a little deeper here and trust the Lord to provide there. But uh, So what we need to learn here, though, is, is not so much from the disciples' perspective, but, but everyone's perspective in this, is that when Jesus receives the crowds here, even in this point of exhaustion, we, we know that we can always, always go to the Lord Jesus. No, no matter what's going on in your life, you can go to him. And by that, I, I mean in prayer, to talk to your Savior. Now, 
In our passage, the, the day is spent with Jesus, and we see there he's healing people, and he's, he's teaching about the kingdom of God, the same stuff we see him doing all the time. But now it's getting late, and the people are hungry, including the apostles themselves. And, and so you can imagine they're probably a little grumpy when one of them finally speaks for the whole of them uh, and says you know, to Jesus, Send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. And on some level, you want to say, you know, kudos to the apostles, right? Here you are. You've got a plan. You're proactive. You can see what the problem's going to be, uh, and, and you're getting ahead of it, right? They, they realize in this tiny little town that they're in, there is no Chick-fil-A, no Taco Bell. Pizza Hut won't deliver this far out. Um, there is no place for these people to get any sort of food. And, and, and so, you know, try to understand also the situation. Like, we, we are so used to having food, we don't even, can't even make sense out of, well, I mean, skip a meal maybe, right? Um, they, they have walked out there following Jesus, trying to catch up with them in the heat, exhausted from traveling, and they're going to need the calories just to be able to get back. Um, you see, being out of, out of the reach of food is just a foreign concept to us as Americans. I mean, when, when's the last time you truly were like, I don't know if I'm going to have enough food to be able to get back anywhere? I, I can think of one, I'm, I'm 41 years old, I can think of one moment in my entire life, which is still a bit of a stretch even, and I'll tell you about it, uh, when, when there's just fear of when are we going to find food, there is a, uh, a trail that goes all the way through Missouri that was a, a converted bicycle, it's a train converted to bicycle route called the Katy Trail, and it's fantastic, but there's these huge stretches with nothing. Uh, and so a friend and I were out riding one time, and we'd eaten breakfast at 8 a.m. We're both plenty fat. We probably could have gone many days without eating. So, you know, again, not too much of a panic, um, <clears throat> but we just needed food. By the time we, we hit lunch, there's nothing, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and just starting to feel incredibly weak from nothing. Like, how, do we, how are we going to keep going to keep finding food? Uh, somewhere around 3 p.m., we finally found this, this backwoods bar and grill in a place called Portland, Missouri. Uh, it was really disgusting. I wouldn't have eaten there on any other occasion probably, but it was the, the most amazing greasy cheeseburger I've ever had in my life. And it was just this moment of, okay, we have food, we can keep going. It, it, it's so different when you're traveling requires your, your body's energy to keep moving as opposed to just gasoline. Um, and, and these people are in that situation, only worse off, because we had cell phones if it had gotten real bad. Um, and, and they need food here, right? And, and did you notice in, in this, though, here in this? It's really interesting, because in verse 12, if you look, <clears throat> the apostles are commanding their Lord. Here's, here's what you need to do, Jesus. Um, and they're, they're telling them, we, we have this plan, right? We know how to fix the problem. Just take those people and send them away. They'll go find food. I mean, how often, though, do we find ourselves coming up with a plan, and then in our prayers we go to God, God, here's what you need to do, right? God, I, I, we need uh, more money, so we need a better income. I need this promotion. I need this promotion, right? That's our plan, whatever it might be. But why do we so often have this whole plan, and, and we just tell Jesus exactly what, what needs to happen? Here's what it is. I mean, Jesus responds back to them here with his own command, doesn't he? He says, <clears throat> you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And I, I really, really wish we knew the thoughts of the apostles at this moment because it's, it's not written down. We, we don't know, but what we do know is they're exhausted. 
They don't know the term yet, but hangry is what they would be using if they, if they could. They, they, they just told Jesus, here's what you need to do. And then he comes back with this ridiculous command, you give them something to eat. I mean, I mean surely, right, the, the apostles all give each other that look like, did he really just say that? G- give them what to eat? What, what are we going to give them? Their, their response is, is actually really common to what we often do when we're given certain commands, right? That we, we want to give some excuse. I, I can't obey the command uh, for this reason, right? Um, because of the circumstances, right? We, we do this as children, you know, wash your hands. I can't. Billy's in the bathroom. Well, wait till he gets out or find another thing you know like the, there's always some excuse right we, we do this relationships i'll only only date a fellow believer i i can't because there aren't any good christians to date all right i haven't met them right we, we do this in college don't don't cheat on that online exam and and, and they you know they, i can't really obey that because uh everyone else is going to be doing it it's going to mess my grade up if i don't also do it right it's expected uh, or a s- speed limit, right? Uh, as adults, right? I, I, I go the speed limit. I can't. Why? Because we're late, right? Now I have to send. I'm required to send, right? Um, it, it's so quick that we do this. Even even on the major things, right? You, we read in the scriptures, you know, to to forgive, and, and we want to come back with, well, I, I can't because what he did is so terrible. I can't. When we say we can't obey, and when the apostles here say that they, you know, they don't have what they need to obey, um, namely tons of food, right, is lacking, at the very heart what we have here is a worldview problem. And here's what I mean by that. We so easily just drift into this mindset that forgets, one, that God is real, that forgets that God can solve problems in ways that we can't. Um, the apostles have been with Jesus, and, and they've seen him do so many amazing things at this point. So many amazing things. But, but here they are hungry, and they're exhausted, and, and the introverts are just done with people completely. And, and they've all forgotten this one little fact. God is with them. It's God who has told them what to do. All the ways they've seen him work, and they forget. You know, they're just going on autopilot, where... Where the problems of the world are solved by the means of the world, and there's no other way that we can possibly imagine things getting done. And, and so these people need food. We need to find a way to buy it if that were the case. And, and that particular excuse, right, that they give uh, is to say we, we have no more than five loaves and two fish uh, unless we're to go and buy food from somewhere else. Well, they know that they're not going to go buy food from anywhere else. Like, that's one of those arguments you just kind of toss, on, toss in there. They can't find the food anywhere nearby. They've already stated that. There's over 5,000 people, you know, and men, and it could be even more than that. It is more than that, most likely. Um, it would be over eight months' wages for whoever was going to pay for that. Which of the disciples is going to do that, right? Last one to touch your fingers buying lunch. Uh, that's some serious commitment there. The, the bottom line is they, they can't provide what these people need, and, and they kind of already know that, right? That's why they wanted to send them away to begin with. Um, and, and that's exactly what Jesus wants them to learn here. You can't provide what these people need, not on your own. 
to, to, to learn that, that they need Jesus to provide. You and I, we, we can't meet the deeper issues in people's lives either. I know many of us think we can. We, we hear of some, someone's need and we just want to rush in and, and be the hero. We, we want to maybe you know, feed our ego to you know, being the savior of this particular moment, this particular situation, but that doesn't always bring about or ever bring about lasting change. And so, listen, while we certainly should help people when we can to give and to serve and to give time and so on and so on, and you remember the Christian life requires wisdom and and sometimes sometimes we need to do a better job uh, of pointing people to Jesus rather than just trying to fix the little things going on in their life sometimes we we need to do a better job of that let's let's pray about this it sounds like such a cop-out sometimes but let's let's pray about this first because listen, if you and I just try to save the world, we're, we're going to fail and we're going to burn out. I've seen too many examples of that in, in real life, right? We're going to burn out real quick. But, but Jesus, Jesus can meet every need. Uh, brothers and sisters, we, we, we'd save ourselves so much stress if when we find ourselves faced with a problem, if instead of the last thing that we did was pray, if, if the very first thing we did was, was to pray, to, to seek the Lord. I mean, how many of us are, I mean, I tend to go this way. I have, I have eight plans. I've thought it out. Well, here's what we're going to do. And if this doesn't work, we'll pray. Instead of the very first thing, God, you know, let's pray. And, and maybe the way he's going to answer that prayer is to bring some plan of what you need to do to mine, right? That here's what you're going to do. But, but why in the world do, do we make that, make that our last thing? We need to start doing that first. And also just trusting that if God won't solve our problem, that there's good reasons for that. And we can rest in that reality too. Now, <clears throat> Jesus tells them that to have the people sit down in groups of about 50. Uh, the people sit down, and Jesus says a blessing, a, <clears throat> a prayer over the people. With only two fish and five loaves, Jesus breaks the bread. And, and because of the Greek verb that's used there, we know that Jesus continues to break the bread again and again and again. And, and until we read in verse 17, and they all ate and were satisfied. Now, I, I hope here that we can at least appreciate something in the apostles here. That, that at this point, the apostles' obedience actually proceeds, comes before their understanding. And, and this is what true obedience really is because when we <clears throat> demand all the info and then decide if we're going to obey it's not really obedience right it's just agreements okay that's a good plan i'll do that that's that's not the same as obedience i i, I can't remember where we first learned this but uh, in teaching children about obedience there there is a they're, they're welcome to ask questions about what the plan is what you're asking to do that do but only after they have verbalized that they will indeed obey. For instance, something like this. I, I will obey, but can I ask why we have to clean up all, these, all of our toys when we're going to play with them again as soon as we get back home? Right? You, you have the acknowledgement of I, I will obey from the beginning. And then the questions come. And so, so here we see the apostles obey. They, they organize the people according to Jesus' command uh, without first being told the information. And, and this is important because as far as they know, nothing's really changed, right? 
we're, we're going to organize them in groups of 50, and I guess we'll just be hungry in groups of 50. We're, there's no food still, right? And, and here they are just obeying what he's saying, even though they can't make sense out of all of it. You see, if you really, really want to practice obedience to God and his word, then we need to learn to obey even when we don't understand why. Now, it's not bad to want to understand why. It's not at, at all but, but to want to know why, but, but don't make that the condition for our obedience. So then there are a couple of things in this passage I want to kind of step back at and, and for us to look at uh, in a little more detail. First of all, <clears throat> how many of you know how bread's made? <clears throat> okay. Now, you do, right? Okay. So most likely the bread here is, is barley bread. You don't know, Lance? You're shaking your head no? I will teach you. We'll start at the very beginning of the recipe. Um, <clears throat> see, here's how bread is made in, in the normal way, particularly barley bread. Uh, it, it begins with this. These seeds that God has created are taken and they're stuck down in the dirt. We call that buried. Uh, and now these seeds need water. You like me to define terms like buried? Um, and, and so God, right, causes the water in the sea. This is how barley begins in the sea to actually evaporate into a gas. And that gas goes over our heads and over the land a long distance, traveling in the sky to where the seeds are. And, and then God causes the water to fall from the sky. This is all amazing when you start to think about it, isn't it? Uh, and that water begins to mix with the dirt, and it soaks into the seed. And, and so that seed becomes just this little bitty plant as it just pops up. Uh, and, and next, God causes this huge ball of gas that's 93 million miles away and on fire, uh, right? It, on fire. And that ball shines light that's going to travel those 93 million miles uh, to this plant who knows how somehow to convert that firelight in, into energy through something called photosynthesis, which I won't even begin to explain because I don't understand it. <clears throat> this is amazing. Okay, so then the roots grow deeper and the plant grows higher and they need more rain, only this time the rain has to be big enough to fall from the sky that it doesn't evaporate before it hits the ground and small enough that it doesn't just squish the plant completely uh, when it gets there, right? Eventually, if everything works out, uh, the, the ripe barley must be picked. And, and today, most barleys turn into beer, but back then, it was mostly made into bread. Uh, and, and the way they did this, they would take the outside off of it, and then they would just crush the rest of it into this nice flour. Now we're getting somewhere that we're used to, right, with your recipes. Uh, once you had the flour, you add it to a mixture of water and yeast, and you mix it up, and you let it rise, and then you bake it, and you have a loaf of bread. Now you know how to make bread, Lance. You can skip the first part if you can get the flour. Uh, <clears throat> that's how we make bread. That's the normal way. But what happens here is Jesus does this absolute miracle of creation <clears throat> because he skips all those steps, right? He, he skips the seed. He skips the rain. No rain. There's no soaking, no photosynthesis, again, whatever that is. Uh, there's no ball of fire, no harvest, no grinding, no flour, no yeast, no water, no mixing, no baking. Just a finished loaf of barley bread, one created after another, and that's what he's doing here. In, in other words, what we're learning here is an absolute, real miracle of creation. And I, I feel the need to say that this is a real miracle because theologically liberal churches in the past 100 years or so have tried to explain this, this event 
in a very different way. They, they do it like this. Uh, in, in John's gospel, we learn that the bread and the fish, they didn't just appear, not the first ones. Um, they were a boy's lunch that he comes and he says, I, I, you know, I'm willing to share my lunch with you. Uh, and, and the interpretation, and the liberal interpretation says that the generosity of this boy was so moving to everyone that everyone else was like, well, I'll share too, you know, and everyone becomes gener- generous. And, and, and so what they will say then is that the real miracle here is, is the goodness of people willing to share. And that is a completely dishonest interpretation. There's no nice way around it. It, it misses the whole point. It contradicts God's word. It, uh, it, and, you know, maybe most importantly, it robs glory from Jesus and it places it on, on some unbiblical idea of humanity's innate goodness. It totally misses the whole point of this. So, so let me say again this. Jesus performed a real miracle in creating bread here. Second thing for us to see here is, is this. this. This miracle should remind us that, that we have a place in the work that Jesus is doing around the world, around us. Listen, Jesus could have distributed the bread in, in any way he wanted, right? He could have just done it on his own with no use of the apostles. Just, you know, here's bread and I'm going to fly it out to you and everyone would be even more impressed. Or he could have just made it just appear in their hands right where they are. There are any number of ways that, that Jesus could have just distributed this bread. But, but he, he, you know, instead, and left the apostles just watching the whole thing go. But instead, he puts them to work. He gives them the bread. And he sends them out with the bread to give to these people to, to be a part of the distribution of this bread. And, and this parallels life of Christian ministry both vocationally and in ministry that we're all called to as, as Christians in our lives. And because Jesus could have just as easily distributed the message of the gospel, the proclamation of the kingdom, if he so desired, right? It could be written in the clouds when you go out there. There could just be a verbal voice that, that God speaks in that the whole earth hears all at one time, any number of ways. But instead, um, he blesses us by inviting us to be part of the proclamation of the gospel. Right? We're part of it. And we can only give to others what Jesus has given to us. That's, that's true in all aspects, right? It's true financially. It's true regarding our time. Uh, but more to the point of this passage, we, we can tell people about Jesus. We, we can give them the hope of the gospel because we've received that from Christ. We, we know that from Christ. Okay, that we, we give what we receive. Okay, so then the, the third thing is this, and, and let's not miss the most basic point of this passage. If nothing else, uh, God will provide what we need. If he calls us to feed people, he, he's going to provide us with the food to feed people. Right? If he, if he calls us to befriend people, he's going to, uh, or, or to go someplace where we're going to need stuff, where we're going to need friends and fellowship, he's going to provide that. If he calls us to serve, he's going to provide us with the abilities to do so, to, to use in service with him. God will provide, and God's provision in the past is a model and a promise of his provision in the future. And, and so remember his past provision for you and, and let that build up your confidence in his future provision. Now, you, you ever notice God, um, God providing bread for his people is actually, in, in a strange way, a very common theme throughout the whole of the scriptures. 
remember when, when Israel's wandering in the wilderness and there's no food and we're miserable and all that complaining and, and God provides bread from heaven for them. It's called manna. It came down from the sky at night to, to feed them with it. He, he's provided bread. In John chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says this. He says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then two verses later in John 6, 35, Jesus says this. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall, shall never thirst. You see, in our, our passage today, did, did you notice this, the, the phrasing of this also and how similar it is to something I'm going to show you here in a minute? Uh, it said, we read that Jesus took the bread, right? And, and then there's a blessing. And then he breaks the bread and then he gives it to his disciples. Now, I'll ask if you, if you notice that because I want you to see something. You've still got your Bibles open. Turn over to Matthew 26, 26. It's an easy one to remember. Matthew 26, 26. And listen to what, he, what it says here. Um, the, the setting here is, is Jesus is at the Last Supper. Uh, he's establishing the Lord's Supper, which his church still administers today. Uh, and, and listen to this, Matthew 26, 26. You see the same words. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said... Take, eat, this is my body. Jesus not only provides the bread their bodies need here, but, but he provides his body as the bread that their souls and bodies need. See, Jesus, Jesus offers up his body to be broken, to, to be the sacrifice for our sin. And, and so food being provided right in this story, that's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful, true miracle. But, but having forgiveness of our sin provided for us in Christ, that, that is more wonderful. Last, last thing here. <clears throat> Jesus provides abundantly, right? Here everyone is hungry, and they go from hungry to, you know, Thanksgiving, right? Elastic pants and leftovers for days. Um, they're just all this food. And ver verse 17 says, it says there, are 12 baskets left over. I mean, on, on some level, do you see the humor in this? 12 baskets left over. There is one basket for, for every apostle who suggested at the beginning that we should just send the people away because there is no food. You, you can kind of see them all standing there with their baskets filled to the brim, right? We got all this food now. Just amazed at who Jesus is, that, that he can do this. And so church and, you know, anyone visiting today, the, the, the bottom line here is this. We really need Jesus. He is our, our daily bread. He is life and satisfaction. He is our, our hope for eternity. He is our, our hope for joy even now. We, we really need Jesus and he shall be a satisfa the satisfaction to all who will trust in him. Let's, let's pray. Lord, you are good, and you provide what your people need, even when we can't see the way you shall do it. Please strengthen our faith in your provision for our physical and spiritual needs. 
Teach us to come to you first, not last, and to thank you for how well you, you love us. Lord, we, we thank you, not only for the bread you provided for these 5,000 that show your power and your might and your divinity, but we thank you for offering your own life as the bread we need. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.